today's episode i have sally anderson ward who's going to talk about audrey horn with me so uh, long story short um i used to have a instagram page called my life is twin peaks uh, where i spent a couple of years after um season three came out um heavily uh, invested in twin peaks and doing everything from cosplaying especially the character we're talking about today called audrey horn um, but also visiting the real filming locations in Snoqualmie, Washington, and uh, also decorating my house inspired by Twin Peaks and all sorts of things. Um, subsequently, I decided to change the name to Sally's Crying Eye because um, I kind of found that I um, uh, wanted to expand a bit and kind of move on to a broader perspective on especially esoteric magic and art, which are things that have consumed me my whole life. Um, so I still love Twin Peaks. My life is still Twin Peaks in many ways, um, but uh, it's also other things. Um, but actually, um, just to kind of talk about the, the name, My Life is Twin Peaks, I thought it was quite fun that it almost worked like a magic spell. Um, I came up with the name because watching since season three, I started noticing Twin Peaks everywhere and in everything. And then when I declared my life as Twin Peaks, it became Twin Peaks. And, and so it, it, it's really become a huge part of who I am. Thank you for that. Uh, now, I guess the other part we could start off with, because um, one of the reasons why I wanted you to do an Audrey Horn episode was because, you know, you had like uh, all these different uh, attire in honor of Audrey. And yeah. I just kind of figured that, like, you know, with the love for Audrey like that, that naturally there's just a lot that you will have to say about her. Oh, um, yeah, I think she is definitely in my top favorite characters of the show. I do also have a soft spot for the log lady who is like, talking about esoteric magic. She's sort of the witch of Twin Peaks. But Audrey is just such a, a wonderful character and she's so independent um, and has such a, a drive. Um, she's, she's probably, um, I, so like I relate to her, but she's also probably the version of myself that I would strive to be, you know, the, the extroverted side of myself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm quite, I really love her as a character. I, I guess because uh, we could start off by talking about Audrey and to a certain extent Sherilyn Fenn is that the first thing that I wrote down is that uh, Audrey and Sherilyn Fenn basically have this unprecedented allure like there's just like some timeless about like their look and personality and um, no it's just like a you know it's like something that takes Cooper off guard and it's just something that like everyone who was watching in 1990 or even today just can just see right, right off the bat. Completely I mean just something like a detail, like the little um, beauty spot and next to her eye. That's like that's her real beauty spot that she's got there. She's got all these. She's so striking looking. And according to Sharon, um, yeah, Sharon Fenn. Sorry, I listened to an interview with her recently, and um, uh, she said that apparently the role was written for her 
Um, so um, she was kind of probably in for either Donna or Shelley. Um, but after uh, Lynch met her, he decided to to put her in as uh, develop Audrey as a character around her. That's quite amazing. Yeah, that actually, that does make me think, um, is that in the case of Sherilyn Fenn, uh, I always believe that Lynch sees some special, I mean, of course he wants great performances, but also he sees something in that person just as like a person. And it's, it's very telling that just based off his interaction with Sherilyn Fenn, that he wrote her in not having any idea what like she would do later on, but just knowing mm -hmm. that she had to be in it. And she ended up being like, just like this standout from like, you know, from the pilot, then the original series. And even the case of, we'll, we'll get to Firewalk Me, but apparently he actually yelled at her when he found out that she was going to opt out of Firewalk Me in oh. favor of <laughs> Mice and Men. But, you know, there's something very important to Audrey, uh, to Lynch in particular. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's well known that um, Mulholland Drive was thought of as a Audrey Goes to Hollywood spin-off series. Um, I couldn't for the life of me find any explanation for why she didn't end up in, in Mulholland Drive. If, if you listen to Room to Dream, they, he just sort of says that. And then before you know it, they're talking about casting and casting Naomi Watts. So I don't know what happened there, and, and but maybe also just the project evolved organically and became something else. Actually, from what I understand, um, this is from, a, I believe, a Tony Krantz interview from Twin Peaks Unwrapped. He actually talked about how there would actually be a Mulholland Drive movie slated for the summer of 1991. And then Twin Peaks would return for like season three. And then also there'd be a Mulholland Drive show like in conjunction with it. Um, I mean, there's I, this is just one viewpoint, but that's one that I heard that's, uh, that seems like it rings true because it comes back to the whole idea of like, what Sherilyn Fenn and Audrey means to David Lynch and like how important she is that she could just branch off and do her own thing. Definitely. I, I was thinking about how like, yeah, you know, art, art is organic always and there's always, there's, there will always be sort of changes that happen as you're creating a piece of art. But um, I suppose uh, when you have something like Twin Peaks where you have a show and uh, so we know that the pilot was kind of made in a vacuum and they didn't know where they were going but then suddenly they're planning a whole season and they have all these plans and they're planning also a season two and then you know that there are suddenly things going on behind the scenes that are affecting uh those plans such as uh it's you know brought up that uh, Carmen Lachlan didn't think it was appropriate uh for Cooper to uh, end up with um uh, Audrey and uh, and so suddenly that that changes the plans I think for the better potentially uh, we can talk about that but uh, actually that's exactly just... what I was uh, thinking of is that in the case of uh, Cooper and Audrey I'm kind of on the same page where I think they have this like I just actually wrote down explosive chemistry but it's mm -hmm. also like a it's kind of one of those relationships that's best if they go in the won't they rather than will they type of route yes because uh even by uh del cooper's own admission that she's a high school girl and he's an agent of the fbi and yeah. um just when there's that big of an age gap it just there's like there's just that inherent disconnect that there's something that just mm. like just probably it's like just because you could doesn't mean you should type of type of ordeal no and uh, i think i think if you like twin peaks you're probably inherently a bit a little bit masochistic and you don't mind uh, <laughs> being kind of uh, drawn along and and uh, having your patience tested and all these things so so in a way i just kind of i just love that gap 
there that is that you can just imagine what it would be, but you don't get to see it. So, mm -hmm. and and I think often a, a dream or a vision is stronger than than uh, something um, spelled out. That's actually pro that's actually a great way to look at it. Um, I, I guess my biggest wish is that um, I know that according to Harley Payton, uh, after the death of Leland, they were banking on those five episodes to be focused on Cooper and Audrey. But when Kyle mm -hmm. McLaughlin said, no, I'm not going to do that, they were just left with the subplots and hence what we had after that rough patch. Yeah. And um, I do wish that they uh, they had something else lined up uh, in terms of like, you know, who they'd be with, because Cooper, they kind of scale it back. And then when Annie comes along, it works out. But in the case of Audrey, you know, they tried like semi teasing with Bobby, the John Justice Wheeler that didn't quite work out. You know, I wish that they kind of gave Audrey more to do, especially during the Ben Horn Civil War era part. Totally, yeah. So, so the men play a role in Audrey's life, and it's you see her going through multiple incarnations of that. And we could, when we talk a little bit more, maybe about season three, you can then talk about what does um, Billy and Charlie represent to her in this scenario. And, and I think, you know, there is a confrontation there with what men means to Audrey in her life. Mm -hmm. um, what was I going to say? Um, so, uh, so there's that, but um, not only that, we then get to see Audrey from, from a different perspective. And again, like it, it may be the attraction to Amanda kind of motivates her initially um, when, uh, when she's, she decides to, infiltrate one-eyed jacks and, and get all involved in the in the murder case um, because she's trying to impress Cooper. Um, but it just it's just part of something that sets her on a path towards finding her own way in life. And I think it's really lovely how she she then comes back to kind of understanding the value of family and the family business and all this stuff, which is much more explored. Um, that's not to say that uh, that a love interest isn't isn't an interesting thing to explore as well. But as a as a young independent woman, I think it's also important that she has that journey of sort of finding herself in all of those things. Actually, I'm glad you brought up the family aspect because, uh, like you know, in the case of Ben Horn, it's uh, you know because she has a more than strained relationship with him. But uh, mm -hmm. as the series goes on, that there is definitely she definitely has this like prominent part not just like I mean of course we can rag on like the civil war aspect but when she really confronts Ben about uh about his relationship with Laura that there's a bit of a healing process and by the end of season two they're like actually on the same page with each other uh, yeah because you know it's like uh again like uh, of course Audrey has that allure with uh with Cooper but there's still definitely that family aspect and that's even carries over into like Johnny Horn and how you know we don't really get scenes with Johnny but you can tell that she actually does care for him when when he is brought up. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I mean, the first scene we see Audrey in, or not not the first scene we see her in the pilot, but the first time we hear Audrey express herself is when she meets Cooper, and she says, uh, um, "My brother Johnny is twenty seven, and he's he's in the third grade. He has emotional problems. Runs in the family." Um, and uh, yeah, emotional problems runs in that family and, and they all seem to have to go through some kind of mental break at some point at various po points. I mean, Audrey's uh, 
Audrey uh, goes through a, a quite a big trauma after um, uh, One Eye Jacks. Mm-hmm. And you can, I think it's very lovely. I, I was rewatching the scenes and it does take her quite a long time. Of course, again, because of the circumstances of season two, we know that, but but they, they really take their time to kind of let her find her way back and kind of find a, a, um, a drive again. Uh, so she's quite rattled by that experience. And it's part of, again, an important experience she has to make because she, she has to kind of, again, evolve as a character. Um, her dad has a huge mental breakdown after the trauma of being accused of, of murder. Um, and then uh, you have season three, Audrey, who, who also has to go through some, some quite interesting things. And I think uh, you can also say Jerry Horn's um, journey in season three is, is his own version of that, even if it's a bit com- com- comical and yet also quite tragic when you think about, you know, an, an, an older man uh, running around scared shitless in the forest. Mm-hmm. No, actually, Jerry Horn, um, that, I mean, I'll say that for, you know, an upcoming episode with him, but I actually think that his arc is actually a lot more important in some capacity mm-hmm. in season three that I think people want, or at least I think there's a very distinct clue that can, uh, that can be, I don't know if decode's the right word, but it can definitely be analyzed and you can look at it in a more serious light because, you know, David Patrick Kelly definitely plays it up. But also yeah. there's some about like he shows up, like he emerges from the woods in Wyoming somehow. And it's uh, seeing his nephew really explode. And then uh, Mr. C, I mean, he doesn't know it's Mr. C, but you know, there's there's some about that proximity that I think is worth addressing for him. Oh yeah, that's actually really wonderful because one of the main things I thought about about Audrey is her ability to travel. Um, so you can almost talk about it in a kind of, I don't know, spiritual or metaphysical way that Audrey is a character who can travel between worlds. So very significantly, she travels in amongst the uh, walls of the Great Northern, and the Great Northern Hotel is made of wood. So it's like a forest. She travels in the forest between the walls. She also travels to One-Eyed Jacks, and I was thinking about, like, the only time we see anyone travel to one at Jax is uh, Benjamin and Jerry. The first time they go there in the in the boat, but we never see how Audrey got there or anything. Um, and I kind of like the the fact that you just see her almost materialize there because none of the other characters have gone there. We know Laura and Renette have gone there, but you have to be quite special to be able to get there. I um, like that. Um, no, both about the Great Northern <laughs> and One-Eyed Jacks. Uh, the Great Northern, I'm still trying to just like unpack because I never thought of it uh, of it like in the in that wording in particular. Cool. Yeah, um, and it's I, I think maybe I don't know how, when we're talking about season three, and maybe we'll save it a little bit. But um, I just think that's a significant part of what we then see in season three. It's an Audrey who's unable to travel now. And that's part of her huge frustration. Something has happened to her. Is it an ex- is it because of the explosion at the bank? Is it the the trauma of the rape of Mr. C? Is it multiple things possibly? Um, but she is in some state, and that state uh, has made it an impossible for her to move around. And that's the most frustrating thing that could ever happen to to Audrey. And I completely understand why she feels the way she feels. She is not in touch with herself anymore. 
Um, she can't move. She doesn't know how to get to the roadhouse. Charlie doesn't even get why she doesn't know the way anymore. But this is just where her where she is at that point. Actually, this is a very good lead-in for uh, the secret history in the final dossier. That's a lot better. I guess uh, on the topic of the secret history is that, uh, and this is the part where I know there's a certain subjectivity in the secret history in the final dossier. Do you happen to read the letter she wrote to Ben Horn? Because uh, I read it recently, and uh, I don't know if there's a if I'm missing something in terms of like the timeline it was written, because I believe in the secret history they talk about how that letter was written before she went to the bank. But it also completely contradicts uh it completely contradicts like everything that her and ben were talking about in that late part of season two yes um so i did reread it I, the only part that i didn't get to rewatch was the very last part of season two i i didn't have time simply mm -hmm. so i'm a little dubious on the facts but i i, I just recall from the first time reading uh the secret history that again there is a lot of inconsistencies and you can you know, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that it, this is, ties in with season three's timey-wimey stuff uh, that's happening. Um, but, but what did you notice that was uh, different? Uh, well, I guess the, because uh, uh, in the end of season two, it seems like her and Ben are on the same page of uh, why they're going to protest at the bank. And uh, I think it's, uh, it all has to do with Ghostwood. And mm. uh, in, the, in the letter, it talks about how it's like, it's basically an irreversible betrayal to her, you know, on her father's part. And um, I just thought, I was like, okay, well, maybe this was like a front of sorts, but then I just thought, oh, it's just based on the evidence in the secret history that might not completely make sense. So yeah, do I remember it correctly that, um, I mean, when she goes to the bank, it, it had in, in the show, it has the air of, of um, like um, revelry towards her father because her father at that point is not, 100% on the campaign or am I remembering it? No, no, yeah. I think that uh, from what I recall, it's uh, he had the whole stop Ghostwood. And mm, uh, okay. I guess people can question if he was being authentic or not. I always took it as when Doc Hayward said he seemed genuine. I just kind of seemed mm. like, well, if Doc Hayward is saying it, then yeah. that's probably indicative <laughs> that there is something sincere on his end. But mm. yeah, I just remember that after the uh, after their like conversation about Laura, that they're actually like a pretty healthy relationship after that. So, you know, we see the letter, it just like, you know, throws a wrench into, you know, anything about that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if there was uh, anything that you had to say on it. No, yeah, uh, well, and I just uh, caught on to what you were saying about his, um, Benjamin's sincerity. And of course, you're, I'm sure you're going to make an episode about Benjamin, but he's so inherently connected to Audrey's story arc as well. So it's a little hard not to talk about him too. Mm -hmm. And he um i think you know for all these characters it's a journey and i definitely think initially he's kind of like a, a narcissist who is aware he's got problems but he's not he he isn't consciously aware of what it actually means to be good and you see him as i recall he like takes out books uh that kind of uh to inspire him about what goodness is he honestly doesn't understand what it means because it's not in his nature but at least he's trying and i think uh the benjamin you see in season three is someone who has matured finally and kind of integrated all of that into himself mm -hmm. um but he uh yeah i, I don't i'm not sure about the sincerity 100 but i think it's it's kind of underway um through the season mm -hmm. now the i guess this is another one that's worth mentioning is that in the final dossier 
Uh, it kind of starts off where after the bank explosion, it indicates that uh, she woke up three plus weeks later and like no memory of what happened. But the part that, you know, pertained to Ben is that she was actually furious that he actually went on with his deal with Ghostwood that would turn into a prison. And uh, so I wasn't sure if maybe that letter was written pertained to that and they just got the timeline wrong. But yeah, um, yeah the uh, I guess the other one is that this is probably a good time as any to bring it up um, is that I have this theory of like the basically it's like a converging reality theory is that when Dale tries to rescue Laura in part 17, you know, he creates two worlds or one is where Laura is still killed and then the other is where she goes missing. And the thing is that for most people in the town, that would be something to the effect of, uh, you know, a lot yet very little would change. But in the case of Audrey, for Dale Cooper to not show up and not have her, you know, in, a, in her life, uh, that would be like a huge, tremendous change for her. And Definitely. so I, I kind of took the idea, and I know that not everyone really subscribes the idea that, you know, there's multiple realities, but I, I kind of look at that letter as like, as if that's something that was written in like a reality where Laura went missing. And like, there's like a yeah. major fallout that would carry over, you know, into uh, Audrey's arc in season three. Mm, yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. And like, I like the word converging reality. It suggests to me that it's not necessarily like separate timelines, but mm -hmm kind of timelines merging a bit. Uh, we see, uh, we read Tammy Preston's words as she's sort of leaving Twin Peaks, uh, some kind of memory loss is starting to happen. Um, and so people have different um, experiences of, of this uh, change. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, because that actually made me think about um, so we get, there's a whole take to have, to have on Audrey season three, but it's interesting how, of course, that um, Billy and some of these other characters that she's talking about are appearing in other people's conversations. And I have a more kind of, again, um, uh, sort of spiritual interpretation of what that means to Audrey. Um, but as I see it, again, it's just an example of how everything is very fluid and you know, it's a reality that's very subjective to her um, is also merging with the reality of everyone else because it's just, you know, it's all kind of up in the air at this point. Actually, I guess on the topic of uh, of like the uh, Billy in particular, I think, and this comes to the whole convergent reality as well, is that I think the first reference to him is at the end of part seven when we get that shot, reverse shot of the double R diner. And yeah. in one of the shots, the guy runs in like, you know, in like a very urgent manner screaming, has anyone seen Billy? And then he runs out. And then uh, and then like when you see that, I think the next reference is at uh, the Roadhouse. I forget which part and which performance it was. But then, of course, Audrey brings up Billy. And that's like a not just like a small like throwaway reference, but it's like a huge motivation of why she like feels like she has to leave. Totally. Yeah. So and uh, interestingly, the scene in the double R cuts and suddenly everyone's wearing different clothes or sitting in different places so it's like it's again converging realities there mm -hmm. um there is maybe there is maybe a timeline where audrey's whole life was about a guy called billy um but who knows um my reading of um of that is um it's almost a cliche to say like a dream but basically I think of it um, from a bit of a Jungian perspective, which is where the characters that appear in your dream are all aspects of yourself. 
So I'm not so interested in who Billy actually is, um, but I think Billy represents something that for Audrey, and I think Charlie represents something for Audrey. And I have kind of two takes on Charlie. He's either he both he, he both said, seems to have some kind of kind of authorial power. I mean, he's um, he's able to end her story as as he says to her, quite threatening, you know, mm -hmm. very ominous. <laughs> as should I end your story too? But at the same time, uh, I also think she he maybe is an aspect of herself that she's communicating with and and being frustrated with once again because. I mean, he's telling her to stop complaining, but she's the, uh, no, she's telling him to stop complaining, but she's the one who's constantly complaining and unable to leave the house. And she cannot make her mind up about what she wants to do. And I think when she's angry with him, it's because she's angry with herself because she's lost all of that ability, as I talked about earlier again, like, that the, the, the ability that she always had to just be in control and do whatever she wanted. Um, so I think when she is, attacks him, she's kind of attacking herself. And I also think when she's then um, asking him to get her out of there at the end of after she's done her dance, um, she's kind of shaking herself and, and getting herself to wake up. Because I think Audrey, again, I think Audrey is the one in charge but the Audrey we see in in season three it just has to be confronted with that aspect of herself actually this does make me think because uh if, since we're talking about the characterization of her in season three in particular um I think that I, it was Martin of Lynchbrooks he actually put out uh the idea that uh in the case of Sunset Boulevard it was like you know of course one well, of Lynch's all-time favorite movies it was talking about how the mirror, specifically the one in, at the end of Part 16, is the, pretty much the same mirror Norma Desmond uses in Sunset Boulevard. And there's definitely a lot of parallels in terms of, you know, it's someone where it's like, uh, you know, time has gone on, their life isn't quite what it was before. And, uh, you know, they'll throw out like these jabs or, you know, they'll say something that seems kind of like, you know, it, 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 would, it wouldn't really, really, you know, land with most people. But at the mm -hmm. same time, there's a certain like unresolved issue that they're dealing with. And uh, I think that was a uh, that was actually a huge aspect of what her arc was. And mm. it's also probably worth addressing that when I uh, back in 2020, I watched all season three as an 18 hour movie. And I did yeah. pick up on the idea that the timeline of what Audrey's doing does not go at all with anything else that's going on. Because, mm. uh, you know, there's so much that goes on in like, you know, in all of season three. That uh, when Mr. C goes to see Philip Jeffries, like, was that you that called me five days later? All I could think was like, that was five days? Like, that's a, I can't believe it's gone by that quick. But then, you know, <laughs> you have like four episodes of Audrey just barely leaving, like, the house. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's a, that's where I think there's a, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to just say between two worlds, like, just to kind of throw it out there. But there's definitely something about, like, the sense of time that she is not in, like, the same plane of existence. No, she, I think she's in a, I am... Um uh subjective existence there um again you could talk about all kinds of like other layers like the spiritual layer of like uh is there a large influence uh happening or uh, or then the whole like the meta layer which is like um the euphoric voice and and if you although I, i'm very adherent to uh the, the concept of death of the author. So whatever the author has to say shouldn't affect your reading of it. But 
we're fans and we like to know what uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost have to say. And it, it, it does add a different layer uh, to the reading. And so you can say, well, uh, behind the scenes, knowing that there was a version of the script that Sherilyn Finn reportedly rejected, um, a different version had to be written. And somehow they, I think, I think they just sort of cut down to the bone of like, what is this character about? Uh, as I keep saying, I think she basically, they, they basically just sort of um, narrowed down what is her, what is she about and how can, how, what would be the, basically the worst thing that would ever happen for her. And that would be being trapped and especially being trapped by a man um, and, and all these things. And she has to confront herself and I think that's why yeah actually the, I would kind of argue for that kind of meta reading because of the fact that the last thing that happens is ladies and gentlemen Audrey's dance and that's like as meta as it gets because why would why would anyone present her dance in that way um, it's it becomes so iconic it, it's taking her her famous moment and making it iconic and so I was just thinking that what it's about is that Audrey has lost herself and she has to kind of become herself again. I think that's a lot, uh, a lot to go on because um, I, I, in my case, um, I think of like the scenes at the Roadhouse where first time you see it, it's like surface level, like, oh, they're going to like more or less end each episode with like a musical act. But the more I think about it, the more I think it's important uh, you know, what those scenes pertain to. And it's yeah. also to me, it's not a coincidence that it end, Audrey's arc ends there. Because um, I guess, you know, within universe, I look at it as if uh, almost like the Roadhouse, um, I don't know if Portal to the Black Lodge is the best mm. way to describe it, but I think there's something about the quote-unquote music in the air and the fact that I view as the presenter is like, he's the same character as Jimmy Scott in the season two finale. Oh, yeah. And I think that there's like some sort of influence it's having on like the world and it's like, hey, this is where it is. Like, you know, it has the red curtains and uh, there's always, you never see anything good happen at the Roadhouse. <laughs> and so for Audrey to have her arc where, you know, it's like, it's this like horror, it's, it's like this uh, insurmountable task to just get to the Roadhouse. Yeah. And then like, you know, she has her moment, but then like everything goes crazy. And yeah. then she quote unquote wakes up. And uh, it, it, like where she like, quote unquote wakes up too, I've like, every time I watch it, it's always a different take. Yeah. I, it's not, I don't think it's ever something I'll ever feel comfortable with. Because uh, um, I think that I've written down that uh, my first time I watched it, I actually thought she woke up in like a mental hospital. Like it was like this PTSD from like One-Eyed Jacks and the bank in particular. Mm, and then and that's the maybe the, if you'd go for the final dossier, that's like the version you could take. Um, yeah, because, uh, you know, it's like in the case of that explosion, like that's like an unprecedented trauma that, uh, mm -hmm. that like it would like just stick with you for like years on end. Uh, the other one is that I kind of just wrote out like it's like a between two worlds like she knows that there's something larger than the plane of existence that she's on but she's mm -hmm. not quite like you know ascendant to like get to the other part yeah. and then um, I was thinking of and this is you know surprisingly not something that's really brought up like in season two it's brought up briefly but they talk about the dweller on the threshold and yes. uh, I thought it was like you know in the case of Audrey if we're taken where what you know what Lynch sees in her that you know that she'd be like this like almost like a higher entity if you will and mm. um it, of course like i you know it's like we're just kind of going by her looking in a mirror with like a white background and like these ominous sounds so admittedly yeah. there's not a whole lot to go on but I, I i think i just like the idea that that like dweller on the threshold which doesn't get addressed in season two 
would pertain to her in part 16 because uh everything in like with audrey's arc it definitely has like that explicitly lynching quality but i also like there's aspects of season three where i think to myself like oh well you know if mark frost had a say in this like maybe this is something that he would have had in mind yeah oh my god there's so much in what you just said so first of all the the roadhouse is a strong portal it's where um cooper reveals the murderer um and it's where the giant comes and tells him that it's happening again um and i was just thinking about like the amplifiers the musical amplifiers the electrical guitars that are sometimes played on there's all this electricity in the air and as you say dance dance and music it's uh, part of that so uh, so of course this is where you would go if you wanted to somehow get away and i think audrey has told herself that she needs to uh, find Billy. Uh, so that's her conscious motivation to go there, but her subconscious motivation is to wake up. I think that's what she's supposed to do. A little bit like Benjamin Horn in season two, telling himself that he needs to win, win the battle of, uh, what's it called, Atom, Atomatox uh, or something. Um, but, or like, a, you know, sort of win for the South uh, in the Civil War. Um, but what he needs to do is wake up and come get out of his um, his uh, psychosis, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, so they tell themselves something, but it's about something else. But where is Audrey? Um, so I, I was thinking about um, the whole arc of season three is the, the wonderful subtitle is The Return. And um, it's a little paradoxical to use the word return because returns insinuates that you you go back. But I was thinking about if you look at um, like um, storytelling structures, such as something like, for example, the hero's journey, which is a very famous structure you could use, the return would signify the very end of the story where the hero has gone through um, challenges and all sorts of things that have, has then changed them. So the return for Audrey is not becoming herself or like can you say like just becoming the same Audrey but it's becoming a different version of herself by returning to herself um so I think that's what's what that's about and I think that's why her her whole section there really reflects all the themes of season three and uh, it's nice that you bring up the dweller on the threshold because Charlie actually says to her should we just stand here on the threshold or should we move on? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I definitely think the whole story of Cooper is um, what Hawk explains to him being the dweller of the threshold is uh, what is it meeting a higher power with um, perfect courage. And Cooper's lesson is that he is not perfect, uh, on the contrary. Um, and I think that's why personally I interpret that he fails at the end and that he has probably a, lo a long way to go. As the fireman says right in the beginning, you are far away. Uh, so I think you could definitely talk about how Audrey is possibly also going through something similar in her own way. And I was also thinking that, yeah, that there could be multiple versions of this actually, or maybe this is just one of many things she has to kind of deal with. Actually, I'm glad he also brought up the hero's journey because um, one of the things I was mentioned to someone uh, recently is that um, I kind of look at the archetypes of these characters 
where um you know of course like you know we have like the hero's journey and then the uh tragedies but i was thinking that like the way that the characters are written in twin peaks it's almost like lynch and frost they create their own archetypes um you know in reference to audrey and uh, cooper but then this is how they expand them further and I think that's why I like Cooper's and Audrey's arcs more. Like, I like them more in season three than the original series, hmm. which might be sacrilege, but I think it really gets down to the essence of who they truly are. And, uh, and I know that in the case of The Hero's Journey, uh, Joseph Campbell it was a huge influence on Mark Frost. And again, hmm. this comes back to the whole, like, you know, how much did Mark Frost have a say in, like, certain aspects of season three? Because I know in his case, he did, you know, of course, write everything with uh, with David, but also, like, once filming came around, he's like, ah, you know, I'll focus on the secret history and the final dossier. But I still think there's those remnants of influence in uh, season three because yeah. I know that um, every time there was a change to the script, uh, Lynch would actually call up Mark Frost like, hey, I'm going to change this if that's okay with you. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I don't know if uh, you know about the reference to Orpheus and Eurydice um, in, in the end of, uh, that's the end of part 17 when... Cooper is uh, taking Audrey through the, uh, sorry, Laura through the forest and the way he's walking with her, with his back turned to her and she's walking behind him is uh, very much like the Greek myth of Orpheus going into the underworld and, and, and taking Eurydice uh, and saving her, um, but failing also yeah. because he looks back and then she disappears because he's not allowed to, he's supposed to um, trust that, um, that she's with him. But Cooper keeps looking back, and before we know it, Laura disappears. And uh, Mark Frost, I recall, not long after season three, was also talking a little bit about this and the concept of hubris. Um, so, like hubris being like you when you confront the gods. Um, again, you have to consider that you're dealing with some powers that are higher than yourself, um, and it's not an easy thing to just deal with. Um, so. Uh, on the concept of Joseph Campbell, what he talks about, of course, is like um, mythology as something that's not a thing of the past, but something that has always been on the way. And personally, I love looking at film, TV, comic books, all the things we have today in the same light. And Twin Peaks is just something that transcends most work in a way where you can really look at it in, the, in that light um, because it, it all the characters are so heightened that they are like archetypes um, they kind of this they you can you can very strongly sort of section them each into an archetype um, and yeah it's fascinating Oh yeah, no, it's uh, I'm still on about the uh, Orpheus aspect because I know the story of Orpheus. Uh, I mean, I, I I think people know it in general, but I think it was through the lens of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, so I I'm just thinking of like you know that was a parallel when I because I read Sandman for the first time a year ago and it never crossed my mind how much that tied into uh, what yeah. Cooper does at the end of Part Seventeen. Totally, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I mean, I'll save that for like a Cooper and uh, Laura episode, but uh, no, that's like, that is a lot to, to sink in in terms yeah, of like I did the ramifications. Actually, I did actually very briefly consider, did Audrey maybe have a Greek um, story you could kind of parallel her with, but it was a little difficult. The only one that kind of came to mind was uh, Persephone. Um, and sort of, so the story of Persephone is she's taken by Hades into Hades, her mother 
searches for her across the whole world and finally finds her and um uh, or, or with the help of Zeus and Hecate or I can't remember exactly and uh, but the whole point is that Hades um, tricks them so um, Persephone eats uh, some pom pomegranate seeds six of them which is um, there's a rule in the world of gods which is if have you eaten from a realm you belong to it but she only ate six so she only uh, has to stay there for six um, months out of the year and so Persephone becomes spring, basically, or spring and summer. When she when she returns to the real world, um, everything springs back to life um, because it, the whole world was so sad that she left that it became cold and barren. And so she kind of just um, represents those two seasons. And I was just thinking about, well, you could kind of look at um, Charlie as, as either Hades or even Hermes who takes her in and out of, of the place and stuff but it was it was kind of vague uh so I didn't I didn't go far into that no I like that um no because I think <laughs> what makes it so hard to pinpoint Audrey in a lot of cases is that it's like we were saying before is that you know Lynch wrote her in because he was just so like you know transfixed on her and then, uh, you know, once we got to the original series, that was more so like Mark Frost was there on the daily, uh, you know, like with a lot of stuff. Of course, Lynch would, you know, come in and uh, always like, you know, you know, he he did an incredible job on every episode he did. But then in the case of season three, it was definitely the scene with Sylvia Horn and Richard Horn. That was the one that made Sean Fenn say, I'm not doing this. Uh, but then, uh, you know, like much like with the pilot uh lynch just wrote in some completely different and it's like one of the most visceral like memorable moments and mm -hmm. I, I, it comes back to the whole idea that i think that there's something about the character of norman desmond that he was Ooh. inspired by audrey but i think maybe in some cases he kind of sees that in charlotte fenn in terms of like you know there's just like this tremendous talent that's like underneath her and yeah. uh that it like it actually motivates him to you know make the stories he does with audrey yeah yeah she she is a complex person and i think she's had her own trauma and all these things and uh she's glamorous and so she's uh, she's like a uh old-timey uh glamorous film diva and she has that quality to her as well and so i, I just think he saw some of those things in her but you know, interestingly, he he ended up casting Naomi Watts for Mulholland Drive, and I think he saw similar, or if if not slightly different things in her as well. Um, but yeah, I, I really love um, Lynch's casting process of just talking to people and not having them read. He sees some kind of quality in them. Oh, sorry, yeah. The first time I watched Mulholland Drive, I knew going into it that it was originally going to be an Audrey Horn spinoff. And uh, the thing I was looking at is that you look at Naomi Watts and Laura Haring, and I almost view it as like a duality of uh, Audrey's personality. There's that mm -hmm. like young, vulnerable, but like, you know, there's this like rising talent. But also there's just that like, you know, that like, like I was saying before, that unprecedented allure. Because, you know, like Laura Haring is like absolutely radiant and, uh, you know, we don't know much about her. And uh, looking through the lens of like everything after the bank, I actually did want to put it past the whole idea that she wouldn't have her memory intact. But then, you know, in contrast with Naomi Watts, there's still that idealistic aspect. So I actually thought for the longest time, it was just like divine up the two most defining traits of Audrey and how they work yeah. together. I really like you saying that because I was talking with my partner about um, uh, um, Lynch's use of, of the like blonde brunette duality that he also has in uh, Lost Highway and 
you see multiple times over and, and already in the show, you have a bit of a um, Audrey Laura duality there as well, because she, she literally has a, a complex, uh, a dad, dad complex there about a dad who's in love with a friend and all these things. And um, we know uh, Lynch is a big fan of uh, Hitchcock, who, um, who, who also did a lot of that. Um, so, so I really love that you said that because I was thinking like initially, yeah, I think she was uh, um, Naomi Watts' character, but, um, and I couldn't quite fit her into the other one, but I love the thing you said about memory loss. Uh, that's why she, she also could have been that because she's the brunette um, in that story. Actually, I'm also glad you brought up Laura as well, because uh, this comes back to what I was mentioning, how Lynch was actually thoroughly unhappy that, Aud uh, that Audrey wouldn't be in Fire Walk with me. Because mm -hmm. uh, even going back as far as the secret diary, uh, early on in it, Laura talks about how she views Audrey as pretty quiet and sometimes mean. And then like she feels bad for her, but at the same time, she also likes the idea of being the center of attention of Ben Horn. And uh, I, I think that, you know, it's like, what would their dynamic would have been like, uh, you know, in contrast with each other? And like, maybe if they were friends that they could probably, you know, get through each other's trauma because, you know, it's, uh, I think it was, I forget who it was, I think it was actually a few women in Laura's Ghost where they talk about how Audrey would be the one person who would understand like Laura better than anyone else. And if mm. they were friends that they, there probably would have been something to, that they could have like gotten through it. Totally, yeah. Um, if anything, I just love the the line in, in again the first time Audrey speaks uh, in uh, part two, uh, where she just talks about like respecting Laura because Laura took took care of her brother and all that. And so I think Audrey again has uh, quite a lot of even if she's not consciously aware of it, she has a lot of maturity. She's not viewing any other woman as a threat or anything like that, but she, but uh, is able to kind of appreciate um, different parts of them. I mean, also just the way she talks to Donna. I actually, I do wish that, because uh, there's that, that iconic scene in the bathroom with uh, Donna and Audrey, and they talk about like almost teaming up. And of course, you know, mm -hmm. the whole idea, like, you know, no one would have predicted the idea of like, you know her going off to one-eyed jacks but it would have been nice to see more with donna and audrey because i actually thought that they actually had like a really good chemistry in that scene yeah totally. and um I, I guess you know like i said where it's like the trajectory that the show went there was not really a logical reason for them to really cross over i mean no. if there was a hypothetical 1991 season three where it's like <laughs> they're like half sisters maybe they could have yeah. but of course no there's that oh there's yeah only, that's true oh my god yeah, yeah. there's only so much that one can speculate with a 1991 season of abc just because yeah. uh, you know it's like a, what we got was probably better than what we would have gotten in 1991. yeah i think you're right um we can we can only go go from what we saw and i i think um i really love the scenes between uh audrey and donna because of how they establish audrey as a character this is the famous audrey stance uh the first time but she's talking to Donna, but she's got that air of like cool, you know, and like absence, absent mindedness, and just like suddenly is off with the fairies and start dancing. Um, so Audrey is a very singular character, someone who is just so comfortable in her own skin. I, and I was actually also thinking about a little bit of like the introvert extrovert um, energy and, and thinking like Audrey is 
extroverted, but she's also very introverted, I think, in as much as like she has this very rich inner reality. Um, she just, uh, you know, can can dream herself away. And, and so she doesn't really need other people and she doesn't need to be popular. And that's why she doesn't in that way attach herself to anybody, I think. No, I think that's, uh, and again, there's uh, one thing that's probably worth mentioning about Audrey is that there's just some about the the uh, the way that she has that confidence, but also vulnerability. Where vulnerability, it, ne- definitely, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like a, you know, a lot of other writers that, you know, they could just make that like kind of cliche, like a, I don't want to say a Hallmark movie, but I guess like maybe I could go with that. But there's something about the way that she is written, where of course, like, you know, like the Writers of the Original series then with season three, and, you know, even to a certain extent, um, Mark Frost and Jennifer Lynch with the books that uh, yeah. they do understand that there's a certain complexity to it and that, uh, you know, it's not, and there's something that there's a, I don't know if duty is the right word for it, but there's like a certain, like, you know, they, there's a certain precedent to make sure that you really place emphasis on this character. Totally. Yeah. So, so you can talk about her as confident, but sensitive, that doesn't make you in any ways a weak or, or not, not confident. Uh, it's to, it's a character who's very in touch with her own emotions so I really also love the scene where um, she's the only one who's reacting to Leland's dance. Um, so she's just been uh, spying, I think it's, she's been spying on her dad and um, Josie and kind of laughing with glee over the fact that her dad is up to no good. And then the next scene is uh, Leland dancing um, frantically and suddenly you see Audrey crying. And so she's seeing the tragedy of the situation unlike anybody else in that situation. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that scene because I think that's a scene that cemented like who Audrey was to me. Because I think mm. leaning up to it, I was like, I was like, you know, there's this like certain like joy she gets out of like seeing uh, at the expense of her father, which he's a pretty odious guy, so that's fine. But yeah. there's also that type, part of me, I was like, is this, I was like, is this going to be like the first of like four steps of her becoming like, you know, a darker streak to her? And that's what mm. they would commit to. But no, when I saw her crying to Leland and while I, in contrast to everyone just kind of making fun of her, it's like, no, this shows who she truly is to me. Yeah, um, before we started recording, we were also talking a little bit of like the duality of good and evil and how it's very hard to kind of pinpoint any character as solely good or evil. And and here we were talking about um, the, the large spirits, especially because, you know, they kind of represent these forces, but they their motivation is often very uh, fluid and and it's very difficult always to say that no, this is definitely a black large character or this is definitely a white large character. So, so it's not so black and white. And this is the beauty of Twin Peaks. It's like every, every single character has multiple aspects to them. Um, and of course, the whole of season three is again a, a, like a meditation on that. You have a character, Agent Cooper, whose soul is literally split into different versions of himself and he has to confront that part of him I know this is not a Cooper episode but I just wanted to yeah but I just want to add like I've always thought that Cooper has a dark side and it's totally there in season two um and he's not that good <laughs> I mean he's he gets into a relationship with Annie Blackburn well knowing that his biggest nemesis who's after him and the women he loves 
uh, is after him. So yeah, Cuba, Cuba is uh, well-meaning, but he's also a bit of a fool and, and he has, he, he lets his uh, fascination uh, gets to get the better of him. Actually, that uh, the, coming into him being split in two, um, I, 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 that does remind me that one of the things that Cooper says to Audrey when she's in his bed is that what I want and what I need are two oh, different yes, things. Yes, yes. And yeah. then in part one or two, Mr. C says, I don't need anything, Ray, I want. And mm. it really just shows that uh, in the case of with Cooper is that with Mr. C, it's not just some evil Cooper. It's just like, these are the darkest of dark recesses. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing is that, like, you know, shows that, like, you know, with Mr. C and Dougie Jones, that there's these two completely opposite aspects, but they both are deeply rooted in, like, you know, something that he is capable of doing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's just something about how, how that was all played out. And this is partially why, you know, Cooper and Audrey are, I like their characterizations more in season three. But, yeah, okay. I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I think that, like, the whole, that like, everything you brought up is absolutely great. Yes, totally. Yeah, I mean, the thing about season three is this, it gave us this whole extra thing that suddenly retrospectively makes everything that came before even more interesting to look at. And I really, I really love that. Was there anything else you want to mention or anything else that maybe not have brought up yet? Well, I don't know how much time we've got, but I, I had kind of um, looked a little bit at Audrey from a kind of esoteric perspective. So long story short, uh, in my everyday life, I work as a graphic designer. And at the moment, I'm working for an astrology magazine. And so, as I said in the beginning, I, I have an interest in esoteric magic and these kinds of things. But I didn't know a lot about astrology until recently. And so I thought it could be kind of fun to ask my boss uh, what she had to say about Audrey. Um, and my boss is a woman called Katrin Oppenheim, who's a Danish astrologer. And the magazine is this long-running astrology magazine in, in Denmark. Um, and uh, first of all, um, the thing is, uh, there's some kind of nerdy uh, thing to or some discussion to be had about what's Audrey's actual birthday, because um, have you heard about the star picks uh, trading yes. cards? Yeah, uh, which very lovely is on on uh, the the DVDs and Blu-ray versions. Um, you can you can look at all the trading cards from 1991 and. Um, uh, they actually got a, a real astrologer, Bill Herbs, to pick the um, birthdays for all the characters. So you have actually an astrologer choosing uh, the signs for the characters based on their personality. But there's a problem with Audrey's birthday. Her birthday is 15th of August, 1972. And uh, the problem with that is it makes her only 16 in the show. So it should have been 1970. And if you go on uh, Twin Peaks Wiki, which I've used a lot often when you just need to kind of read up on some stuff, uh, it says the 24th of August, 1970. And I just cannot for the life of me find out where the heck this birthday came from. I don't know, I've not been able to find it in any books or anything. This comes back to the subjectivity of uh, the books in Twin Peaks, is that um, I was going through the access guide to the town to see like, uh, you know, cause they have birth dates for like a bunch of characters like Pete Martell, Harry Truman, Ben Horn. And the things that they write the book as if it's like, you have this whole history of the Horn family, all these things about Ben Horn's legacy of like the quote unquote great things he's done for Twin Peaks. 
And there's nothing about Audrey, yeah. like nothing about her in it. No. Uh, you know, no. you have this book that's like this, like, yeah. plethora of like random information, like, uh, like how Pete Martell like is like methodology of fishing, but there's not even the slightest, yeah. even probably mention of Audrey at all. No, and I, I was thinking like, was was the birthday from there? No, it's not. But I confirmed that it's the same dates in in the cards and in the book, so they they work together on that. But I, I think my argument is also like, well, again, this is timey-wimey stuff. Um, there are inconsistencies and, and all that. So because when I then talked to um, Katzen Oppenheim, uh, uh, she said, oh, Audrey's birthday is definitely the 15th of August, 1972, um, because it's the most, uh, the, the, the one that um, uh, applies the most to her personality. Um, so uh, that would make her a Leo. Um, but more interestingly, it makes her what you call a moon in Scorpio. And a moon in Scorpio um, means that um, you have a character who's very mysterious, loves danger, is full of secrets. Um, and the whole uh, Leo-Scorpio combination there also means that um, she's a little bit of a show-off and then sort of like that would kind of explain her sort of glamorous side. Apparently, she also has a Venus-Pluto combination, and that makes her very passionate and obsessive. So I thought, yeah, yeah, I can see why Bill Herbst um, chose that, that date. Yeah, uh, no, because uh, <laughs> I guess going back to inconsistencies, I have this mindset that um, I, I like to see what people say behind the scenes because I feel like it kind of adds to it, but at the same time, I think in some cases it doesn't, you don't have to like have it dictate how you do feel of it. And because uh, I think, for example, no. it was I believe it was part three of uh, season three, where uh, where when Jade gets her car cleaned out, there's the key. And the thing is that apparently it was a mistake yeah. that it says clean place reasonably priced on the back. And uh, the thing is that ah. it's, it's there now. So it's like, you know, it's like, hey, if you choose yeah. more, that's fine. But for me, I'm the type of person where like, oh, it's there. This is just going to change how I view it. And uh, and getting totally. the age, uh, you know, for her to be 16 of the events, the original series, it really just reaffirms like Cooper was like a better man for not like for turning yeah. her down. Uh, I, I guess so. But I did think about it. Oh, it was Audrey maybe lying. But then there's a scene later on where she's talking to Jerry about her dad having that mental breakdown. And Jerry is like saying, oh, maybe it's for the better if Benjamin Horn is um, in a psychosis because then he can take over. But Audrey reassures him that she's oh, of yes. age uh, and she would be inheriting. And I think it's so great that Audrey, well, again, I mean, I guess she could be lying because she said it's like her whole thing is that she wants her dad back. But I think it's because she's mature enough to understand that she's at the same time not mature enough to be running the whole family business at this point. She has lots she has to learn and it wouldn't be a very good idea if she just took the reins right away. So I think she's being very smart there. So I think I think she's 18, but uh, I think, you know, it's we we can use all these tools such as astrology or tarot cards or um any uh, like an analysis method or something and and all it does is just make us think um and so i just think regardless of what her birthday is it, it was quite fun to see how it actually fit with her mm -hmm. personality no actually on the topic of uh, everything with jerry horn um i know that Sherilyn fenn she said she hates <laughs> all of season two 
But I really think that, like, once you get, okay. like, to the uh, Civil War, even though the Civil War isn't really that good, but she brings, like, a certain assertiveness <laughs> to that role that uh, kind of reaffirms that there's a, yeah. she does see, like, the value of, like, her family and also, you know, she, it does say, like, the side that she's on in terms of, like, you know, doing the right thing and uh, how she presents herself. Because uh, I know David Patrick Kelly, he liked that scene quite a bit, where it's like Jerry Horn is just being a yeah. directionless and opportunistic, like, just not a good brother but he liked the idea of how audrey would put him in his place and like it would kind of like uh, put snap him back in line if you will yeah i think uh I, I can only imagine like from the perspective of the actors they have they have sort of an emotional take on, on what it was like to film the things and i think for example also if you listen to um oh what's her name Who oh uh, kimmy robertson um kimmy robertson also kind of she said there was a lot of things she didn't like about season two but um, overall, I think it's very reductive to say that the entirety of season two is crap. It's more like there's a section there that's quite awful, but there's also good things in it. And there's, and again, it's like, it's what we got. So even if you don't like what um, they on Diane podcast called James's Wild Ride, where James goes off, it's like, well, that's just an example of if a character leaves Twin Peaks, they end up in a soap opera. And that's kind of fun too, so why not? But um, I think the more I've kind of gone back on the whole um, Civil War sequence, the more I actually like it. I actually think it fits It fits with what those characters are about. And I quite, like, I think in the context of Benjamin Horn's journey as well, that that just, that was a really wonderful yeah, kind of no, thing. I, I do, because <laughs> I, I do agree with you on that, um, is that uh, in the case of the Civil War arc, is that uh, in terms of where the characters are, I think it's perfect for it. Uh, like actually the uh, before it really goes off I love the scene with Richard Beamer watching the home movies because uh, it does show that like yeah. uh, it's that's the interesting thing about, thing about Twin Peaks is that you have like these guys who are just like extremely nefarious or odious or they're, they're, if you knew this person in real life you wouldn't want to be around them but there's something about like the way Ben oh. Horn works it goes from like oh this guy has like one-eyed jacks and uh, it's like a little more than a little creepy how he handles himself but then it shows him going through his home movies yeah. and there's this more humanistic aspect to him. And that's the thing is that like the way Audrey's totally. written is that she definitely sees that in him. And uh, after she confronts like the worst aspects of him, she's willing to work with him. Oh, okay. Can we just take a moment just to talk about like Sherilyn Fenn as an actor? Like I think she's very, very talented. I think everyone is. But uh, gosh, does she tap into some energies? And when you when you hear Sherilyn Finn talk about acting you can hear that it's a craft for her and it's definitely something she she um really puts her heart and soul into so I also think I can only imagine that her scenes in season three were just sort of draining um to be to I, go actually through. when I think of her as an actress um but I think that uh you know because you know she had Twin Peaks she had of Mice and Men uh, boxing Helena, and then uh, not big names, but but I feel like that if her career went uh, differently, she would actually be just as, if not a better actress than Laura Dern, because she does have that certain presence where yeah. it's like you know they they definitely have a you know like you said like a certain craft and a certain way that they look at acting. Because uh, I know Lynch, he talks about mm -hmm. how if you're in it for the money, then he's not interested, and uh, you know for like for yeah. you know come back to what he saw in Sherilyn Fenn is that. Uh, she does view it as a craft and there is like just a certain way she handles herself that drives him to write Audrey the way he does. Totally yeah and I think I think you know the way Lynch always talks about it is like if I if the idea is there 
it will happen. And so I think uh, he just happened to have ideas where Laura Dern fit in or uh, other people. Um, and, and who knows what their relationship is. I mean, maybe they're not so good friends right now. I, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of get the impression that Sharon and Finn is good with, friends with um, Jennifer Lynch, but um, it's more like, uh, I'm sure, you know, he could, he, he, he felt like that quality had a life somewhere, which he then, as we know, he did with Mall and Drive. Um, and again, I don't know why it didn't <laughs> become what it, it, it was initially intended to be, but like, um, I think then he would use her, um, but it's hard. I mean, he's in a luxury position, isn't he? When he's got such a diverse cast of just absolutely talented people. Yeah, no. And then the fact that uh, Cheryl and Fenn just like, uh, just like stands head above shoulders along like a lot of them. Last thing, uh, I did also look a little bit at tarot cards um, and um, uh, there's a lot you could say that about that, but I just thought a nice little thing to point out was some, there's a guy called Benjamin Mackey, uh, who some years ago he made um, uh, a deck, a tarot deck inspired by Twin Peaks. And they're inspired by um, a, a very famous tarot deck by um, uh, Arthur Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith that are, they're not the original tarot cards. Tarot cards has a long history, but they're sort of like the tarot cards that um, because they um, they kind of heightened uh, Pamela Coleman Smith um, decided to illustrate all of the cards. So suddenly um, there's so much meaning to be found in every single, is it 76 cards, uh, 78 cards, uh, the, no, 70, yeah, 78 cards that's in a tarot deck. Anyway, uh, if you look at Benjamin Mackey's uh, cards, and if you know a little bit about tarot, you can tell that this is a guy who, who knows his stuff and, um, and really um, there's like so much meaning in them, not just on a nerd level, but like in a, in a tarot perspective. So I just thought it could be fun to see which card did he choose for Audrey. And for Audrey, he chose the card, um, the Queen of Pentacles. And in this card, um, Audrey is at One-Eyed one Jacks sitting on, on the bed and she's holding um, a poker chip in her hand. And in, in his deck, the poker chips then represent pentacles and pentacles are like a, a circle, circle with a, um, a pentagram on it. And they, so very uh, broadly, they represent um, material wealth um, but uh, many say that um, that's a kind of facile way to look at them. They also, many of the pentacle, or like every time there's a pentacle image in uh, Pamela Coleman Smith's um, cards, uh, there's always uh, plants and earth life around. And earth um, represents uh, groundedness, uh, in multiple ways um, so and also like a, a connection with nature and that's actually something we didn't even really get so much into that's like Audrey's affinity for for nature and all that stuff but oh, no, that's, that's another fine. No, you can say anything you like about it but, um, but basically um, Audrey is sitting there holding this uh, poker chip and so um, it kind of signifies a character who's very much at peace with herself, um, who's kind of resting inside herself. Another interesting thing when you look at tarot cards is that they actually um, 
mirror each other. And so um, the Queen of Pentacles classically mirrors the magician. And that is the card he chose for Cooper. And so there's a, in her version, in, in his version of it, uh, you have the red drapes hanging around her bed and Cooper has red drapes behind him and he's wearing kind of a red cloak. You have a yellow background um, and you also have a slice of cherry pie. And so they have these mirrors. And the magician card um, is a card that kind of signifies like the beginning of a journey for uh, a, a someone who's on a, on a sort of spiritual journey. Um, and he's like the sage. He's trying to become something bigger. And this is totally Cooper. He's, he, he wants to become the magician. And in the magician card, he, he points to the sky and to the ground. And that kind of signifies uh, what you call an esoteric magic uh, above and below. So like the, the forces of, of the universe. And so the magician is someone who's able to challenge all the powers of the world. And in that way is someone who can possibly manipulate all these powers. But the queen of pentacles is someone who is, who has integrated all these powers into her and, and, so, and, and is at peace with them and holding them. So I think, uh, I mean, again, Audrey season three is someone who's not, in a good place, but I still think Audrey season one and two is someone who is actually quite, you know, at, at peace with her and someone who, with herself and who, who is able to kind of manipulate the elements in a way, as we talked about earlier, she just, she just travels and goes places and, and does all these things. She dances, which is a very watery kind of energy. Um, so, uh, so I thought that was very nice. No, I, actually, that uh, that actually kind of adds a lot to the Audrey's dance in the original series. Um, because I know the behind the scenes where Sherilyn Fenn was just shaking at the idea of dancing, but it, I, I just thought it was like a <laughs> cool. you no, know, it was like a good character moment that just like let you sink in of like you no, know, who this character is, uh, you know how this show handles its characters. But yeah, now that like uh, the esoteric magic aspect, that's one that I'm gonna have to let sink in for a bit. Yeah, um, actually, because I was thinking about like dance uh, in throughout the whole season is uh, something that people who have some kind of, again, affinity with the lodge seems to do. The, the man from the other place is dancing. Leland is dancing. It, and Audrey never directly interacts with the lodge, yet I think the lodge is kind of holding a little bit of a hand over her. And, and I think she is sort of, a little bit magical. I mean, she um, she lies at one of Jackson prays and says, "Special agent, special agent." And while it takes a while for the message to get across, it does. And uh, it is actually the giant who says to to Cooper, "You forgot something." And when Cooper is then doing that, uh, whatever it is, Kundalini or Tibetan headstand, uh, he then sees the message from from Audrey. So when Cooper is um, again kind of connecting with himself in that way he sees he he gets the message I, actually the uh because on the topic of how uh how uh, audrey's in touch with these otherworldly entities for lack of a better term it does make me think how both in the log lady intro and part 10 where the log lady refers to laura is the one and we were talking about the connections of uh, audrey with laura and like you know what her what her role is uh like, you know and how they two those two would have interacted yeah and actually that like all this is just starting to make me think of what like what this would mean for audrey in terms of like the role that she plays because we were talking about like 
you know, what it means for part yeah. 16 of where she is and um, how, how one interprets that. Um, now, I, I, that's the things that uh, like running, like, you know, doing a podcast like this, that you're presented with all these different, uh, different types of knowledge. And uh, you want to think about it, but also mm -hmm. at the same time, you also like, you know, want to give it like days or weeks or, you know, indefinite time to think about. Yeah. But no, there's, there's something like about you talking about the tarot cards uh, in particular that, I it, it's gonna it's gonna make me look at Audrey in a different light um, <laughs> it, like when I prepare for my rewatches yeah I don't know if you noticed that um Blackie is doing a tarot yeah. spread uh, at one eye jacks and and uh, and astrology is also in Twin Peaks uh, when Judith Jupiter and Saturn meet uh is when the Black Lodge is open um or the gate is open uh, and I actually also asked Katzen Oppenheim what that means if you want to know uh but uh, I thought that was, um, yeah, it, it's all there. There's so much of it uh, all the time. But yeah, you can spend fucking years, uh, sorry, uh, on, on this stuff. And I, I think I, I, in my personal journey of life, this is just where I've kind of got to now where I'm able to kind of look, look at these things from, from this perspective as well. It's Actually, the, uh, in the case of uh, what you said about Jupiter and Saturn, like especially near the end of season two, I remember because um, I was thinking of uh, I was thinking about how like where Harley Payton, Mark Frost, and Bob Angles were, and then how David Lynch kind of came in and did his own thing. Because uh, when I think of specifically yeah. around near the end of season two, going into the season two finale, I think of an interview that Mark Frost did for PBS where he talks about like one of the appeals of Twin Peaks is that uh, you know we have these two minds that aren't always on the same page, and I I remember thinking that when they talk mm. about Jupiter and Saturn, I was like oh this seems like something that would be more so in like uh, a Mark Frost and Harley Payton's court. And then uh, I was thinking about how it mm. wasn't quite as addressed. Like once like uh season two finale came around, it's not a slam against the season two finale. It just like, it just seemed like a plot thread that Lynch mm. wasn't as interested in, but yeah, I, I, I would, I would love to go back and think about, you know, the astrology <laughs> of like what it means for like this opening of the black lodge and uh, the more like anything yeah. that just would like retroactively like add to that scene. Totally. Yeah, well, and actually the meaning of it is fairly like um, superficial, but it basically um, when Jupiter and Saturn meets, there's a huge shift um, and it happens, the, the, it's called the Great Conjunction and it happens every 20 years. And in, in the context of the show, it actually did not happen in 89. Uh, it happened in, I wrote it down, 81 and then again in 2000. And then the last one was 2020, which a lot of fans were pointing out that it was going on. And of course, everyone was going, oh, oh is the West Glastonbury Road? Can we go there? Um, <laughs> but, um, but it doesn't matter because what it, it, it again, it's just a signifier that they're using here. Um, and so uh, let me see, I, I wrote it down. So the thing is about like classic astrology is that it used to be much more fatalistic um it isn't so much these days the way people are using it um a lot of people kind of misunderstand astrology as this thing that kind of just predicts the future that's not quite how it works it's more like a tool that you can use to kind of navigate life at least as i interpret it um but um so saturn represented destiny and jupiter is more like an, a messenger and some and, and, a, and a kind of expansive energy and so when these two meet it's suggesting that something's going to happen and so if, retrospectively astrologers have seen that there have been major shifts in like some some huge things happening 
And of course, 2020 uh, was a year <laughs> that was full of major shifts, of, of course. Um, so yeah, so that's just what they use it for. But I was also thinking like, yeah, okay, so that's one of the ways you can get to the Black Lodge, but we've seen that there are multiple ways you can get there. You can go there in a dream uh, and all sorts of things, but um, uh, they have kind of tried to, to come up with a kind of mythology around how it works. Oh, that's uh, definitely a lot for me to think about. Um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look, because uh, I, I, I've looked into uh, astrology and a little bit of tarot cards, but it's always been on the surface. Um, I've never really gotten to the extent yeah. of the knowledge that you do. And uh, actually, when I when I start doing my um, my secret history based episodes, I think that'll be some I'll try to tap into because I don't I, I mean, I think that oh. Alistair Crowley and Jack Parsons, oh, I mean, more so Alistair Crowley tapped into it more so. Yeah, that's in there and too. Uh, that's part of the research I want to do it to get into it to kind of understand like who they are and uh, what they brought to uh, brought to like the, you know, brought to the world uh, for lack of a better example. Oh, it would be lovely to go back and see if Pamela Coleman Smith is ever mentioned, but um, she was part of that whole Order of the Golden Dawn thing that Jack Jack Parsons was also involved with. So there's a whole there's a whole thing there. Um, I, I don't know much about Alistair Crowley's um, tarot deck, but yeah. he made one as well that some people use. But I I, I found I, I'm I'm a newbie totally. Um, I've mostly read um, someone called Rachel Pollack's take on the tarot cards. She's quite famous and her, she's also a comic book writer, actually, um, written some great comics. Um, and uh, yeah, just only getting into that because I think, yeah, I can totally see how this one deck, the Pamela Coleman's Smith deck is like, it's just such a good gateway into understanding the imagery of it. Um, and and most decks are inspired. No, it's by uh, it. once I start really going through the secret history, I'll see if Pamela Cohen Smith is in it. Because uh, right now, the only one I'm knowledgeable on mm -hmm. is Aleister Crowley. It's mostly through the lens of like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Alan Moore's writing. Uh, my stuff is kind of on the outside looking mm -hmm. in. But yeah, it's uh, you know there seems yeah. to be a close affiliation, and you know if I can find a connection uh, to Pamela Cohen Smith. Uh, that would just, you know, be one more episode, you know, for a lot of great stuff to uncover. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, there's so much. Um, and I just remembered, actually, um, Rachel Pollack talks about the reversed meaning of a card as well. And that, so I forgot to say that the reverse meaning of the Queen of Pentacles cards is exactly what Audrey is going through in season three. So it's someone who... Uh, it's all those things, as I said before, resting inside herself and, and totally in sync with... The, the elements of nature and all that. And then suddenly it's turned on its head and, and you have a character who is confronted with all the, uh, like having all that taken away from them. And there's all this anxiety and phobia and, and stuff. Um, so I was just like, oh my God, I don't know, like Benjamin Mackie tr clearly knows his stuff. Uh, and that's, that's not to say that there's one interpretation of tarot cards um rather there are some kind of universal interpretations you can look at but if you do a tarot reading you're you have to look at it subjectively and you have to look at it the same way you look at twin peaks as this kind of piece of art you can kind of reflect yourself back at so you you have to see what am i seeing when i'm looking at it from the perspective of whatever problem or question i have that i'm i'm looking at so it's just a creative tool. 
but um, I could gush about Twin Peaks for hours, but I can just say the, like my life was Twin Peaks and it's still Twin Peaks because it just um, in its abstraction, I find a piece of art that I can always reflect myself onto and I, I could go on <laughs> for the rest of my I, life. Oops, and it's so interesting. Like it's so, it gives you so much stuff you can just keep using to kind of grow. Now, I think the, one of the big appeals uh, in this community is that um, it's sort of like what I was saying about how Lynch and Frost, they're not always on the same page, but the, uh, the, but the thing with that is that it will always raise more questions than answers in the best way possible. I think just yeah. because it's like such like a relatively speaking, a smaller community, it also has that more personable feel. So I think it's like there's just that combination yeah. of the two that just like, you know, makes you want to stick around with it and always like, you know, think about it. And like, you know, when you rewatch it again, there'll be that one thing and it'll just change your outlook completely. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the thing that I like is that um, is that it will always feel like new every time I watch it. Um, of course, you, you can never replicate the very first time you watch all this stuff, but there's still something that's like far more yeah. new and exciting than, you know, any other medium uh, or at least any other thing I can think of in a medium. Yeah, and sometimes it was good to take a break also and then like come back to it after a while. And I, I did that now for this podcast. I hadn't watched it in a while. And it, I, it was really difficult to get through all of Audrey's scenes because I kept stopping and watching other scenes. Um, of course, I re also recall like when I was watching parts of season two, I was just like uh, rolling my eyes at like, oh, the freaking uh, little Nikki yeah, I, part and all that stuff and I was like okay I can scroll past this no problem and yet at the same time a part of me wanted to sit down and watch it but like um there's this I had to stop so many times and last night I didn't even like I was finished and I was like about to go to bed and like you know what I'll just watch yep. part eight oh, <laughs> now. To, end the, to end the night on that I'll, <laughs> I, I remember yeah. back um, in my 2020 rewatch I in one day I started off I skipped the Mr. C and Nine Inch Nails part but I watched everything about the nuclear okay, yeah. bomb and the woodsman and then I read the yeah, secret yeah, yeah, yeah. dive of Laura Palmer with Shirley's audiobook playing throughout like the rest of the day and then uh, I oh, of course okay. there are naps in between then I watched fire walk with me and I just, I just remember being so drained. It was like, it's the most visceral, yeah. but the most like taxing thing you could ever do to start a rewatch. Um, yeah, but I, oh I can't imagine yeah, sitting okay, through yeah. like all the Audrey parts of season two. They're like, oh yeah, we could watch part eight. So <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's one where, uh, uh, where it's yeah. like, in the case of part eight, there's just so much like, it, it's a good thing that they took a two week break after that was originally aired because I think everyone like needed that break. Oh, yes. And it, you know, you in, again in retrospect, like you understand why you're watching four or five minutes of Nine Inch Nails uh, before because it had it. You're being primed to what's mm -hmm. ahead of you. Uh, it's not an easy thing. I think I think mostly I just wanted to watch the whole fireman's um, uh, part, and that's just yeah. lovely. Um, so so yeah, the rest of it is fucked up but uh it's uh, yeah i just went to watch that because it's just such an ethereal thing last thing i actually went to add is um uh i noticed that the light uh audrey is dancing under in season three is purple and yeah <laughs> and i was thinking about the ocean uh outside of the fireman's and then this is a whole other can of worms i was thinking a lot about audrey as a, a watery elemental um and the water and, and the water often 
not only represents uh, emotion but also um, dreams and so the ocean outside of the firemen's is definitely this big ocean of dream and subconscious energy and all that so I thought there was something again about maybe Audrey in in some way being connected to to the lodge um, I am so dead. glad you brought the use of color in the roadhouse because uh, I was thinking about it the last time I watched it is that uh, the colors purple and I, you can say it's a natural light, but I, I actually interpret it as gold, uh, that there's some distinct, and, but the one yeah. that I think is worth mentioning is that uh, when chromatics, the first time they perform, it's under a blue light and uh, Lynch is very deliberate yeah. color. And I've tried to think of like why mm -hmm. he would use these certain types of color for like, you know, specific performances. And uh, with the blue one and the uh, with the gold, I was like felt fairly confident. The purple one, I, that is one that I, I it didn't even cross my mind what that yeah, what that no. was indicative of. No, and it wasn't really until last night I was thinking about it because uh, the the mauve mansion, as many people call it, where Cooper is in with uh, um, NATO. Um, it's also like what where is this and what is it actually? But I I think I. I think I just decided where blue is the is the other, the mysterious, the unattainable, sometimes death, uh, sometimes some things. And purple is maybe just a little more transcendent, uh, a little bit more at peace and stuff. I don't know. Gold being like maybe the ultimate um, thing, you know, when your lock turns gold. Uh, and, and also like the portal to um, the White Lodge seeming to have a pool of gold uh, in front of it and all of you could talk so much about this but again like I don't think it's like one it's one thing necessarily but like potentially these things represent that you can also talk about red um, even though you never do we ever see a red light I don't no, I yeah, mean the curtains are uh, I feel like the curtains like just the fact I mean <laughs> Not that you would really change them, but I always thought there's some about the red curtains that, uh, in specifically for season three, that that did pertain that something malevolent that is yeah. like uh, always there. Uh, it's fire. Uh, it's yeah, fire energy, and it, and here's where Lynch makes that connection between fire and electricity. They're so almost one at the same. Um, so so it, it, it's a it's a probably more malevolent energy or at least like a very potent energy that you can you can do something uh, with uh, if you're a magician uh, being in control of of fire and, and electricity uh, is very uh, I'll save more for a, the the Sarah Palmer episode that I'm going to record in the in next couple of weeks but I did actually think that when Hawk did bring up the fire and electricity I thought about the significance of at the Palmer home where Sarah has the TV right in front of the fireplace. And uh, yeah, because the thing yes. is that uh, fire, oh. especially when Lynch, like, you know, did any of the anything from the original series, Fire Walk Me in season three, that there's always something just like terrible afoot when like there's the fireplace. But I think the fact that it just lingers on like all these, like just like this dreadful imagery and uh, with everything Sarah's going yeah. through that there is a, like we said, a one in the same, that uh, it's a modern, it's a modern yeah, fire. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Modern, that's exactly. And isn't, doesn't Hawk talk a little bit about that? Or maybe he just talks about like fire. He talks about it yeah, over the map with Frank Truman, where he talks about like, uh, well, the yeah. thing that's actually interesting is that he talks about the intent of it. Because uh, usually when we talk about fire yeah. and electricity, it's always in a 
in a more like evil sort of sense but when you have someone like hawk Mm. of all people saying that uh you know that there's the intent that i do try to look for it's like maybe there's something else to it no i think again i I see that as like a a strong magician or like a powerful magician is someone who's able to manipulate these energies like kuba in the tarot card uh potentially that's where he could be and maybe he does get to it a little bit some people have pointed out when he's uh uh exiting the lodge towards the end he kind of maybe does a little bit of a gesture to open the curtains or something and if anything mike is doing it all the time and saying electricity and raising his hand um so and 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 as far as we know in season three mike is probably a benevolent uh, character and so it's not necessarily a bad force but you just have to maybe be in awe of it and and really consider <laughs> um, toying with it. But uh, now I've uh, I think yeah. I I'm all set with everything on Audrey and all the stuff we talk about fire and electricity. Thank you for this, Ellie. Oh my oh. god, thank you so much. I I would love to come back if there's anything uh, like I I oh. really enjoyed the thank conversation and you could just we could just go on and on. I'm sure. Together. Forever